0: Chapter Twenty of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty. The Outlaw's Rendezvous. Our plots fall short like darts which rash hands throw, with an ill aim and have too far to go. Nor can we long discoveries prevent. God is too much about the innocent. Sir Robert Howard. The old Road Inn, described in the dying deposition of poor Nancy Grewill, was situated some miles from Hurricane Hall, by the side of a forsaken turnpike in the midst of a thickly wooded, long and narrow valley, shut in by two lofty ranges of mountains. Once this turnpike was lively with travel, and this inn gay with custom, but for the last twenty-five years, since the highway had been turned off in another direction, both road and tavern had been abandoned, and suffered to fall to ruin, The road was washed and furrowed into deep and dangerous gullies and obstructed by fallen timber. The house was disfigured by mouldering walls, broken chimneys, and patched windows. Had any traveller lost himself and chanced to have passed that way, he might have seen a little, old, dried-up woman sitting knitting at one of the windows. She was known by those who were old enough to remember her and her home as Granny Raven, the daughter of the last proprietor of the inn. She was reputed to be dumb, but none could speak with certainty of the fact. In truth, for as far back as the memory of the oldest inhabitant could reach, she had been feared, disliked, and avoided, as one of malign reputation. Indeed, the ignorant and superstitious believed her to possess the evil eye, and to be gifted with second sight. But of late years, as the old road and the old inn were quite forsaken, so the old Beldame was quite forgotten." It was one evening, a few weeks after Capitola's fearful adventure in the forest, that this old woman carefully closed up every door and window in the front of the house, stopping every crevice through which a ray of light might gleam, and warn that impossible phenomena, a chance traveller, on the old road, of life within the habitation, having, so to speak, hermetically sealed the front of the house. She betook herself to a large back kitchen, This kitchen was strangely and rudely furnished, having an extra broad fireplace with the recesses on each side of the chimney filled with oaken shelves, laden with strong pewter plates, dishes, and mugs. All along the walls were arranged rude oaken benches. Down the length of the room was left, always standing, a long deal table, capable of accommodating from fifteen to twenty guests. On entering this kitchen, Granny Raven struck a light, kindled a fire, and began to prepare a large supper." Not unlike the ill-omened bird whose name she bore did this old Beldame look in her close-clinging black gown and flapping black cape and hood, and with her sharp eyes, hooked nose, and protruding chin. Having put a huge sirloin of beef before the fire, she took down a pile of pewter plates and arranged them along on the sides of the table. Then to every plate she placed a pewter mug, a huge wheat and loaf of bread, a great roll of butter, and several plates of pickles were next put upon the board. And when all was ready, the woman sat down to the patient turning of the spit. She had been thus occupied more than twenty minutes, when a hasty, scuffling step was heard at the back of the house, accompanied by a peculiar whistle, immediately under the window. "'That's headlong hail for a penny. He never can learn the cat's tread,' thought the crone, as she arose and withdrew the bolt of the back door. A little dark-skinned, black-eyed, black-haired, thin and wiry man came hurrying in, exclaiming, "'How now, old girl? Supper ready?' She shook her head, pointed to the roasting beef, lifted up both hands with the ten fingers spread out twice, and then made a rotary motion with one arm. "'Oh, you mean it will be done in twenty turns. But hang me if I understand your dumb show half of the time. Have none of the men come yet?' She put her fingers together, flung her hands widely apart in all directions, brought them lowly together again, and pointed to the supper-table. "'Um, that is to say they are dispersed about their business, "'but we'll all be here to-night?' "'She nodded. "'Where's the cap'n?' "'She pointed over her left shoulder upwards, "'placed her two hands broad from her temples, "'then made a motion as of lifting and carrying a basket "'and displaying goods. "'Humph, humph! Gone to Tip-Top to sell goods disguised as a peddler!' "'She nodded, and before he could put another question, "'a low, soft mew was heard at the door.' "'There's stealthy Steve. He might walk with hobnailed high-lows upon a gravelly road, and you would never hear his footfall,' said the man, as the door noiselessly opened and shut. A soft-footed, low-voiced, subtle-looking mulatto entered the kitchen, and gave good evening to its occupants. "'Ha! I'm devilish glad you've come, Steve, for hang me if I'm not tired to death of trying to talk to this crone, who, to the charms of old age and ugliness, adds that of dumbness. Seen the cap'n?' "'No, he's gone out to hear the people talk, and find out what they think of him.' Hale burst into a loud and scornful laugh, saying, "'I should think it would not require much seeking to discover that.' Here the old woman came forward, and, by signs, managed to inquire whether he had brought her the tea. Steve drew a packet from his pocket, saying softly, "'Yes, mother, when I was in Spicer's store I saw this lying with other things on the counter, and, remembering you, quietly put it into my pocket.' The old crone's eyes danced. She seized the packet, patted the excellent thief on the shoulder, wagging her head deridingly at the delinquent one, and hobbled off to prepare her favorite beverage. While she was thus occupied, the whistle was once more heard at the door, followed by the entrance of a man decidedly the most repulsive-looking of the whole party. A man, one having a full pocket, would scarcely like to meet on a lonely road in a dark night. In form he was of Dutch proportions, short but stout, with a large round head covered with stiff sandy hair, broad flat face, coarse features, pale half-closed eyes, and an expression of countenance strangely made up of elements as opposite as they were forbidding—a mixture of stupidity and subtlety, cowardice and ferocity, caution and cruelty. His name in the gang was Demon Dick, a sobriquet of which he was eminently deserving and characteristically proud. He came in sulkily, neither saluting the company nor returning their salutations. He pulled a chair to the fire, threw himself into it, and ordered the old woman to draw him a mug of ale. "'Dick's in a bad humor to-night,' murmured Steve softly. When was he ever in a good one? roughly broke forth Hale. "'Hush!' said Steve, glancing at Dick, who, with a hideous expression, was listening to the conversation. As a ringing footstep sounded outside, followed by the abrupt opening of the door and entrance of the leader, Setting down a large basket, and throwing off a broad-brimmed Quaker hat and broad-skirted overcoat, Black Donald stood roaring with laughter. Black Donald, from his great stature, might have been a giant walked out of the age of fable into the middle of the nineteenth century. From his stature alone he might have been chosen leader of this band of desperadoes. He stood six feet eight inches in his boots, and was stout and muscular in proportion. He had a well-formed stately head, fine aquiline features, dark complexion, Strong, steady, dark eyes, and an abundance of long, curling black hair and beard that would have driven to despair a Broadway beau, broken the heart of a Washington belle, or made his own fortune in any city of America as a French count or a German baron. He had decidedly the air noble and distinguished. While he threw his broad brim in one direction, and his broad coat in another, and gave way to peals of laughter, Headlong Hale said, "Cap'n, I don't know what you think of it but I think it just as churlish to laugh alone as it is to get drunk in solitude. Oh, you shall laugh, you shall all laugh. Wait until I tell you. But first, answer me. Does not my broad-skirted gray coat and broad-brimmed gray hat make me look about twelve inches shorter and broader? That's so, cap'n. And when I bury my black beard and chin deep down in this drab neckcloth and pull the broad brim low over my black hair and eyes, I look as mild and respectable as William Penn, "'Yea, verily, friend Donald,' said Hale. "'Well, in this meek guise, I went peddling to-day.' "'Ay, cap'n, we knew it, and you'll go once too often.' "'I have gone just once too often.' "'I knew it. We said so.' "'Darn!' were some of the ejaculations, as the members of the band sprang to their feet and handled secret arms. "'Pushaw! Put up your knives and pistols. "'There is no danger. I was not traced. Our rendezvous is still a secret "'for which the government would pay a thousand dollars.' "'How then do you say that you went once too often, Captain?' "'It was inaccurate. I should have said that I had gone for the last time. For that it would not be safe to venture again. Come, I must tell you the whole story. But in the meantime let us have supper. Mother Raven dish the beef, Dick draw the ale, Hale cut the bread, Steve carve. Bestir yourselves, burn you, or you shall have no story!' exclaimed the Captain, flinging himself into a chair at the head of the table." When his orders had been obeyed, and the men were gathered round the table, and the first draw of ale had been quaffed by all, Black Donald asked, "'Where do you think I went peddling to-day?' "'Devil knows,' said Hale. "'That's a secret between the demon and Black Donald,' said Dick. "'Hush, he's about to tell us,' murmured Steve. "'Woodenheads, you'd never guess. I went—I went, I went to—do you give it up? I went right straight into the lion's jaws, not only into the very clutches, but into the very teeth, and down the very throat of the lion— and have come out as safe as Jonah from the whale's belly. In a word, I have been up to the county seat, where the court is now in session, and sold cigar-cases, snuff-boxes, and smoking-caps to the grand and petty jury, and a pair of gold spectacles to the learned judge himself. No! 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 exclaimed Hale, Steve, and Dick in a breath. Yes, and, moreover, I offered a pair of patent steel spring handcuffs to the sheriff, John Keep, in person, and pressed him to purchase them, assuring him that he would have occasion for their use, if he ever caught that grand rascal, Black Donald. Ah, the atrocious villain! If I thought I should ever have the satisfaction of springing them upon his wrists, I'd buy them at my own proper cost," said the sheriff, taking them in his hands, and examining them curiously. Ah, he's a man of Belial, that same Black Donald thee'd better buy the handcuffs john said i nay friend i don't know and as for black donald we have some hopes of taking the wretch at last said the simple gentleman ah verily john that's a good hearing for peaceful travellers like myself said i excellent excellent for when that fell marauder once swings from the gallows his neck will be broken john yes friend yes probably after which honest men may travel in safety ah never have i adjusted a hempen cravat about the throat of any aspirant for such an honour with less pain than i shall officiate at the last toilet of black donald if thee catch him exactly friend if i catch him but the additional reward offered by major warfield together with the report that he often frequents our towns and village in disguise will stimulate people to renewed efforts to discover and capture him said the sheriff ah that will be a great day for allegheny and when Black Donald is hanged, I shall make an effort to be present at the solemnity myself. Do, friend, said the sheriff, and I will see to getting you a good place for witnessing the proceedings. I have no doubt thee will, John, a very good place, and I assure thee that there will not be one present more interested in those proceedings than myself, said I. Of course that is very natural, for there is no one more in danger from these marauders than men of your itinerant calling.' Good heavens! It was but three years ago a peddler was robbed and murdered in the woods around the hidden house. Just so, John, said I, and it's my opinion that often when I've been travelling along the road at night, Black Donald hasn't been far off. But tell me, John, so that I may have a chance of earning that thousand dollars, what disguises does the son of Moloch take? Why, friend, it is said that he appears as a Methodist missionary, going about selling tracts, and sometimes as a knife-grinder. "'and sometimes simulates your calling, as a peddler,' said the unsuspicious sheriff. "'I thought, however, it was time to be off, so I said, had better let me sell thee those handcuffs, John. Allow me. "'I will show thee their beautiful machinery. "'Hold out thy wrists, if thee pleases, John.' "'The unsuspicious officer, with a face brimful of interest, "'held out his wrists for experiment. "'I snapped the ornaments on them, in a little less than no time, "'and took up my pack, and disappeared before the sheriff "'had collected his faculties and found out his position.' Ha, ha ha ha! Ha ha Ho ho ho! Laughed the outlaws in every key of laughter, and so our captain, instead of being pinioned by the sheriff, turned the tables and actually manacled his honor. Hip hip hurrah! Three times three for the merry captain that manacled the sheriff! Hush, burn ye! There's someone coming! Exclaimed the captain, rising and listening. It is Lenore who was to meet me here tonight on important business. End of chapter twenty.